You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. We have been talking about the areas of our life that not only do we need to quit, but the areas of our life that it's time to let go of and things to begin, things to start. And over the last several weeks, we've talked about, first of all, it's time to quit being quiet. It's time to quit being ashamed of the life and the love and the gospel and the truth of what God has given us. It's time to make some noise about Jesus in our life. We also looked at the following week after that. It's time to quit making excuses and to start doing and moving out in the areas that God has called you. Maybe it's time to quit that habit. Time to quit being lazy. Time to quit showing up late and quit, you know, not showing up at home. You know, it's, it's time to let go of the things that let go of us. Uh, that hold us down and to begin the, the things that God has called us to do. The third week, we looked at it's time to, to quit being, let's see, it was time to quit being quiet, time to quit making excuses. It was time to quit cheating on what's important. It's time to, to quit cheating on your wife uh, with your time and quit cheating on your children and to quit cheating on God, quit cheating on your church. It's time to quit cheating on what's important, and start living the life that God's called you and put you in a role to be. Last week, we looked at it's time to quit. Oh, what was last week? I went blank. It's time to quit complaining. Oh, man, I need to listen to that one again. Uh, It's time to quit being negative, and it was a great challenge to us to live with a different perspective of what God has blessed us with, and we have out in the hallway a board, uh, several boards, and I want to deeply encourage you to make that declaration of not only what you're quitting, but what you're starting. Some of you are like, I quit cheating my wife. Well, go ahead and write on there, I'm going to start showing up. I'm going to start, I'm going to be there for my kids. I'm going to, I'm going to work less. I'm going to quit putting more emphasis on work than I am on my family or whatever. Today, we're going to take it to a whole nother level. We're going to finish up this series with, I quit lying to myself. Now I have here a, a lockable journal, a journal. See, it's got a Nice journal here, hardback. Uh, you would have to take a an axe or machete to get into this, or a you'd have to take pliers, a screwdriver. You'd have to rip this apart if you did not have the key and it was locked. Because inside of our journals, we tend to keep the private things of our life. Is that correct? Anybody here ever keep a journal, keep a diary, or anything like that? Uh, they can be quite private, quite quite personal. And, um, you know, there's things that we want to lock up and secure. There are things that we tell ourselves, things that we think, things that we believe, things that we've done, things that we have experienced, things that get locked up in the journal of our mind. Some of you guys, you don't keep a real journal, but you have a journal, a memory, a log of all the things that you think and believe going on inside. I want to talk to you today about the things we keep in the journal that are lies, the things that we believe that are unhealthy for our lives. And we're going to go through four of them. Four, there's probably a lot more lies than four that we tell ourselves. We're going to look at the big four. Um, now, I don't know about you, but uh, have you ever lied as a kid? Anybody or as a grown-up, anybody ever lied? As a... All right, look at your spouse real quick. If their hand is... If you've ever lied as a person, now, um, I don't know about you, but I've gotten away with some pretty good lies when I was a kid. Um, 
not like I wasn't like a compulsive liar or anything. But when you know where you're a kid, you do you do something bad, you do something wrong, you you you, you want to cover it up. You know, punishment for the crime is coming. And uh, uh, I remember this particular time, my brother and I. Uh, he was always the ins together. I was just along for the ride because I never did anything bad. Um, he was a troublemaker, and I was his assistant. And we would often uh, do bad things. In fact, I actually went to juvenile court uh, and almost ended up in juvie as a kid because he and I broke into his school together. And uh, um, he broke in. I tried to rescue him out of the school by, because the door locked behind him and he was locked in the school. And being a good brother, I broke in to help him. And the door locked behind me too. So um, we were both trapped and the police got us. It was a big court deal. Almost went to juvenile center. And uh, man, I was scared straight, that experience, right? Well, uh, he and I would often get into trouble. And um, mom and dad would, you know, would confront us. My stepdad, my mom. And my brother would put his hand, I never did. I did not. He would just so adamant about it. And they would leave. And then after they were gone, he and I'd be together. And he was like, oh, I didn't do it. And he was uh, like lying to himself about it. And I would say, Tim, but you did. We both did. Oh, no, we did. He like convinced himself so much of this lie. Now, he had convinced himself to the point that he actually kind of believed that he didn't do it. I know he did and that we did. So there were times I just had to kind of play along. Otherwise, we were both getting it really severely, right? And there were times when knowing that I was living a lie was just so stressful, you know? I just, I just, I just wish I could just, I just, want to, I just want to tell my mom, get the whippings done, get the lickings and, and, and be done with it. Because the stress of living a lie can be unbearable. And some of you are living a lie and it's almost unbearable. It, it is stressful. Uh, you just, you wish somehow that it would just come out or that you had the courage to, to, to tell the truth or to, well, today we're going to talk about how we can move from the lies to the truth in the things we tell ourselves. Let's look at the first lie. Four big lies. The first one we're going to look at is in Exodus 18, verse 13. Uh, Moses was leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. They're wandering around the desert. We talked a little bit about that last week. And um, Moses was the man in charge. And this is, this is what happened, went down in verse 13. He says, the next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. This was normal for Moses, by the way. Um, this happened all the time. Um, he would often sit in a place of judgment when they were walking around and he was like uh, the judge for everybody. He felt like he had to be there for everyone. Uh, Verse 14, when his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you're doing for the people? You know, there are certain ways that only in-laws can talk to you, right? Here's his wife's father calling him out. He says, what are you doing? He says, why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you 
from morning till evening. He says, man, there's this big giant line of people who have troubles and they, you feel like you got to talk to everybody, meet with everybody, make everybody happy. He says, you can't do this alone. It's going to take all day, every day. Why are you doing this? Here's the first lie. If we were to be honest, if we were to open up our journal and we could go to one of the lies that we often say, that lie is, I feel like I need to be there for everybody. We need to rip that out of our journal. The lie is this, I have to meet everybody's need. You see, a lot of us, we think, well, there's two types of people. There's some people who feel like somebody else will always take care of something, and you need to fix that. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. No more excuses. But some of you have what's called a messianic complex or the Superman complex or the superwoman complex. And that is you feel like you have to meet everybody's needs. Now, I grew up in a home where my mother had given her life to Christ and she came out of a super wild, crazy life. I mean, she had drug problems. She was an alcoholic. She got on fire for God, man. And she turned our home into a halfway house. We literally, when I was in high school, had prison inmates living in our house on any given month. Homeless kids and people that didn't have anywhere to go. I'd wake up and there's like this big burly guy with a shaved head and tattoos coming out of the bathroom like, hi. And my mom just kind of took it upon herself to just kind of welcome everybody and anybody. Thanksgiving was a circus. It was a lot of fun. She invited as many people as possible. I remember when I was in high school, it was like we didn't know who was showing up, what our house was going to be like. She began to feel like she had to be everybody's Messiah and Savior. Jesus had touched her so much, and she felt so grateful that she felt like she had to meet everybody's need to the point that it grew into I have everybody who thinks I have to meet their need. For example, some of you relatives, you've got cousins who feel like, man, you've got to be there for them. You've got grown children. You're going, oh, someone needs to pay my baby's rent. Somebody needs to take care of him. No, they're grown up. You're not their Messiah. It works. Some of you think they all count on me. They can't survive without me. If I don't show up, everything at work's going to fall apart. I need to help everybody. Some of you, all your friends, man, they, you're the one that's handing out all the money all the time, the one that's giving all the rides all the time, and you feel like you have to be that person. This Messiah complex or Superman complex, some of you are like, man, they all need my counsel, my wisdom. I'm so full of the truth that everybody needs to hear what I, I, oh, you're in trouble. Let me help you. Let me help you. Come to me. And we have this idea that I have to meet everybody's need. I have to loan everybody my car. I have to give everybody some money. I need to be there every time something goes bad. Now, this is what happens in the story in verse 15. He says, Moses answered. His father-in-law said, what are you doing? You're trying to do everything alone? This is what he said. Moses said, well, because the people come to me to seek God's will. So they come to me. I am the man of God. He says, whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me. He says, and I decide between parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. He's basically saying, I am the one. I have to do this because I nobody can do it like I can do it. Nobody can help them like I can help them. They need me. Well, Moses' father-in-law replied, he says, what you are doing is idiotic and stupid and brain dead. No, that's not what he said, but he might as well because he says, what you're doing is not 
good, which is, this is really, really, really dumb for you, Moses. He says, verse 18, you and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. He says, the work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Now, the person who is believing this lie is someone who's always stressed out. And I know because I once believed this lie. Because I grew up with a, with a mother who had a messianic complex, I developed a messianic complex, which is basically I have to help everybody. I have to. There's just, man, I'm, I was grateful what Jesus did. And I mean, I just, if I could, I did and I would. And it, I would sacrifice everything because everybody needs me. A lot of pastors that go into ministry because of this very lie that they believe. Because they believe that they have to marry everybody, visit everybody, counsel everybody, meet with everybody, help everybody. And it's not, un, it's not realistic and it's not healthy. And, and many pastors learn the hard way because they get burned out and, and they leave ministry. You know, 30% of ministers that start the ministry leave. Uh, only 30% survive the ministry. That means 70% leave the ministry. Do you realize only 18% of seminary graduates are still in ministry after three years? Because a lot of them join thinking they got to help everybody, be there for everybody, help, meet with everybody. People who believe this wear themselves out because they're trying to do it all. Always going, always doing, always trying to fix, always trying to be a part. Whenever there's an issue, their hand goes up first. I got it. Someone needs a ride. I got it. I'll do it. We need someone to help out. I got, it. I, I got it right here. We need someone to counsel with them. Let me do it. I can do it. We need to make these phone calls. Me, I got it, you know? And you just add more and more. And people who believe this frustrate the people around them because honestly, because they overcommit themselves to friends and family, they can't follow through on half the things that they commit to. So half the things that they commit to don't even turn out very well or never get completed or never get finished. They start and don't finish a lot of things. This is someone who believes the lie that they have to do everything and meet everybody's needs. So when it comes to this issue, when someone's asking you to do something, here's some questions to ask yourself. First of all, ask yourself, how does this or will this affect my relationship with God? How will doing this affect my prayer life, affect my time in God's word, affect my time going to a small group, affect my ability to be plugged in and help out on Sunday? How will this affect my personal walk with God? The second question to ask is how will this affect me personally? How will this affect me emotionally, mentally? Will it make me tired? Will I be stressed out if I add one more thing or do one more thing? Another question to ask is how will this affect my immediate family? How will this affect my time with my wife? How will this affect my time with my kids? How will this affect my time and my availability at home? And the last question to ask is how will this affect my job? How will this uh, uh, affect my performance at work? How will this allow me to finish projects or to make a project its best? Because some of you, you take on so much at work that all the stuff that you do is like, you know, half mediocre, you know, of what it could be or you show up late, or you can't finish, or you're always there late. Here's what happened in in Exodus 18, verse 19. God says, listen, 
through the voice of his father-in-law, Moses, this is not good. He says, listen now to me and I will give you some advice. May God be with you. He says, you must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way that they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. He told them to basically share the responsibility with able people. You take the big ones, delegate the smaller ones or the rest. Verse 23, he says, if you do this, God, if you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand. I love this. You will be able to stand the strain. And all these people will go home satisfied. You see, God, I want you to realize this is the answer to the person who believes this lie. God can use other people too. There are other people that God can use that doesn't always depend on you. Now, some of you, you don't do anything. And this lie is not your lie. (laughs) And you need to do something. And quit letting these Superman complex people do everything. Oh, they raise their hand. (laughs) I'm off the hook. (laughs) One more thing for that guy. (laughs) It sucks to be him. God can use somebody else. It does not depend on you. You are not Superman. You are not Superwoman. You are not the Savior of the world. You are not the Messiah. There is only one, and his name is Jesus. Here's a second lie that we believe ourselves, and this lie is the lie that I, that I have to have everybody like me. Some of you believe this lie that, man, you know, how many of you just want to be liked? Okay, the rest of you, really? Because I, I want to be liked. I don't want people to hate me. Anybody want people to hate you? You lie. That, mean, that means everybody should. Yeah, I want people to like Do you want people to like you? Raise your hand. Yeah, everybody does, right? There is nothing wrong with wanting people to like you. The problem is, is when you feel like people have to like you. So let's get rid of that lie out of our journal about what we think about ourselves. He says, man, I have to have everybody like me. We all want people to like us. But the problem is, is when we feel like everyone has to like us. Now, think of someone who doesn't like you. Think of somebody. I know it's hard because I racked my brain, could not think of anybody who did not like me. Go ahead. Think of somebody that doesn't like you. Think of someone who does not like you. All right? You got them? You got some? Does anybody know anybody that doesn't like you? If you know somebody that doesn't like you, if you know somebody, raise your hand. Really? That many people? <laughs> You got that many enemies, that many haters? All right, now, how many of you have ever tried, I mean, let's be honest, have ever tried to get that person to like you? Because, I mean, you're thinking, what's wrong with me? I'm awesome. Why would you not like me? I'm funny. I'm charming. I'm kind. I'm humble. And I'm good looking. Why would you not like me? Well, guess what? Think of that person. They don't have to like you, and that's okay. I want you to picture them in in your mind. They don't have to like you, but we want them to like us. 
when we believe this lie, here's the problem. We start living to please people rather than living to please God. This is what the Bible says in Matthew twenty two thirty six. You guys know this verse. We shared it a couple of weeks ago. And that is, teacher, he says, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Basically, God says, you know what? The most important thing in your life that you're supposed to be worried about is what does God think about you? And by the way, he loves you. He thinks that you are beautiful. He thinks you are charming. He does think you're good looking. He does think you got a great personality. He loves you. That's why he gave his life for you. He loves you. You don't have to try to get him to like you. However, our sin is a problem between us and God's love. And that's why Jesus came, so that we can acknowledge what Christ did for us and we can relish and know that love. It's not anything we do to get him to like us. It's what Christ has done that allows us to know and experience that love. But the problem is, is that we live oftentimes to please people. And this verse says, man, you want to live, love God and please him, period. And then just love other people. Don't live to get people to love you. Just love people and focus on loving on God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when we love God, we want to please God more than anyone else. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. He says, if you love me, you'll obey me. If you love me, you'll please me. If you love me, you'll listen to me. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll live for me. You won't live for that person who you think has to like you. The key to a blessed life and successful life is right here. Find out what Jesus has and do it. Period. At home, you want a successful family? Find out what Jesus has for your marriage and do it and you will be successful. You want to know what a blessed home life is like? Find out what Jesus wants for your home and for your kids and do it and you'll be blessed. You want to know what a blessed friendship is like? Find out what Jesus wants for your friendships. Do that and you'll be blessed. You want to know what a great job experience is like? Find out what God wants for you at work and do it. Please God, do it and you will be blessed. You will find that you are success. Please God and watch. Galatians 1.10 says this. It says, am I now, Paul is talking to the churches in the area of Galatia. He says, am I now trying to win the approval of the human beings or of God? He says, am I trying to be a people pleaser or a God pleaser? He says, or am I trying to please people? If I were trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Some of you you can't figure out how your walk with God is, is working together. You can't seem to get your life together because you're still believing the lie that everybody has to like. There are people at work you are obsessed with that you want so badly for them to like you. You have other family. You have family. You have own, young siblings, grown adults here. You're so worried about your sister, about your brother, about your cousin. You're so worried about what your dad thinks about you still. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting these people to like you, but having to have these people like you will tear you apart. And if you are seeking the approval of people, you will never understand what it means to be a servant of Christ. That's what Paul says. You cannot do what Jesus expects and expect 
to make everyone happy or to make everyone like you. If you are worried about trying to please people, you'll start disobeying Jesus so that people will like you. We dishonor God when we try to please people. For example, a girl who's trying to live for Jesus, who's dating a guy who wants to have sex with her before they get married, she might, in order to keep that relationship or to make him happy or to please him, might have sex before she's married and she's dishonored God because she's trying to please a person. Guys do the same thing. We cut corners at work to look good. We dishonor God to try to please people. We go out with friends and we party and we do things that we're not particularly proud of or want to do, but we want to fit in. We want to be liked. We want people to like us. We don't have money to give, but we will spend money on clothes we can't afford and a car that we can't afford to look good, to impress people who we don't like or we don't even know because we want people to like us. This is what 1 Thessalonians 2.4 says. It says, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts, he knows. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We weren't lying to you. We weren't trying to please you. We weren't trying to fake it. We weren't trying to put on some sort of game. We weren't trying to dress like we had money when we didn't. We weren't trying to act a certain way or like a certain type of thing or do a certain activity because we didn't wear the mask. We were honest with you. He says, we were not looking for praise from people, verse 6, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles, We could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. I quit lying to myself and thinking that I must be liked, and it set me free. You know what? I love you. I want you to like me, but if you don't, I'm still going to sleep really good tonight. And there's a lot of people that I've come to rest in my heart. There's a lot of people that just maybe don't like me. I still can't figure out why. And it really bothers me, but I've let it go. (laughs) Or have I? That's a lie that I'm working on. (laughs) Here's a third lie that we often believe that we need to get rid of, and that is, I have to be like everybody or somebody else. I have to be like somebody. You know what? We look at in our journal, and we look at the things we've said, and I... I sure wish I could sing like this person. I sure wish I could had hair like this person. I sure, man, I sure wish I could have a car like that person. Or I had that, their nose is so perfect. And look at my nose. It's just kind of weird. You know, uh, I actually had family, the, my mother, my own mother. <laughs> we, I come from a very blunt family. And she would go, wow, your nose is big. And uh, it just stuck with me. <laughs> it's never left my brain. She's always loved me, but that's the way our family always was. And, and, and I always thought, man, maybe, maybe I, I wish I had a nose like, you know, like Sean. Sean has a good nose. He has a, you know, when I, had, when I had cancer and I went through chemotherapy and I shaved my head, you know what I found out? I don't like the shape of my head. It, it's it's kind of pointy at the top. And I see Sean's and like, I really, <laughs> I wish I had a head like Sean's. It's just perfectly round. It is. It's a beautiful head, and uh, and 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 I and I and I think, man, I, I wish I was like everybody else. It's time 
to get rid of that lie out of our journal, out of our mind, to look like, to sing like, to play sports like, to be smart like. I want to be like that. You know, me as a preacher, preachers are guilty of this all the time. They get up in the pulpit and all of a sudden their voice changes. Mm. And all of a sudden the preacher comes out. And all, and, and, uh, you know, I've done this joke before, but you know, I don't go out to eat after go, can I have some tea mm. with some ice cubes? You know, can I have my butter on the side? Mm. Love that bread, you know. We don't act like that. Why is it that preachers, we get, we become somebody else? You know, I had to learn to be me. You know, as a preacher, uh, I got to be me. You know, sometimes I don't make sense. Sometimes I say things backwards. Uh, I got to be me weird and all. You know, I remember when I was a youth pastor, man, when you're a youth pastor, you pretty much preach on anything. Anything. Really? Really? And then you just say you're sorry, and it seems like it fix everything. I'm a youth pastor. <laughs> what do I know? Right? <laughs> so we get away with preaching about anything. You know, I remember I was a youth pastor, and I preached a message on uh, leprosy and sin and how um, our sin is like leprosy. There's a story in the Bible where it tells a story, and I was a youth pastor. And I showed this picture of something really gross that I'll tell you about in a minute, and it would deeply offend almost every adult in the room that was over 45. And uh, my, the pastor called me into his office that Monday and said, you just, you just can't do that, Ted. Just can't do I'm like, you want to know what the picture was? It was a picture of my wife's placenta in a pan after childbirth. I know, so because like, your pastor should have called you in, right? Let's just say I don't throw pictures of bloody placentas on the screen anymore. You're welcome. And, uh, but I remember I, I threw it up there and I thought, you know, I'm just weird. I'm crazy. I'm, I do it in the youth group. Isn't that gross? That's what our sin is like. Ah, you know, that was kind of my illustration. Ah, that's what God thinks of your sin. Ah, you know, and everybody went, and I thought, point taken. It worked great. Until I went to my pastor's office, and he says, you just can't do that. You just, it's so offensive. It's so, and I could not compute. Why? Why is it wrong to show a placenta in a pan? <laughs> you know what? I had to learn just to be me. And, uh, and sometimes that means uh, I've actually had to... Um, uh, apologize for things I've said in, in messages and in services because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm me. I'm not, I'm not fake Ted when I preach. I'm not, you know, I try to be better Ted, but I'm not, I'm not fake Ted. I mean, what I am here is, is who I am. I, I've had to learn to be me. Stop trying to be somebody else. Let me tell you, God has arranged you and crafted you and just as he wanted, he made you, and God made you, you. Your talents, your lack of talents, your mind, uh, your gifts, your abilities, it's just what God wanted for you. Well, I don't, I don't have any gifts. Yeah, you do. You got something. You just got to know what God made you and how he made you and find it and excel in that. God gave every one of you something great and dynamic. He's gifted you, and you are valuable to him. So let's stop trying to be somebody else and let's just be, guys, you want to write this down. Nobody can beat you being you. 
Nobody can beat you being you. So be you. Just be you. You're not junk. You're not a nobody. You're valuable. Stop trying to be somebody else. You know, a lot of people, I'm going to try out for American Idol. You can't sing. Why would you do that? Why? Do you just want to show up on the bad clips? Some people, that's all they want. They just, well, they just want to show up on the bad clips. Stop trying to be something you're not. Or you're going to end up on the bad clip. You're going to be the memory of what went wrong. Proverbs 139, beautiful, beautiful psalm. I'm sorry, Psalm 139. The entire thing is beautiful. We're just going to read a few of the verses. It says, for you, everybody say me. For you created, sorry, God created you. Uh, You'll say me in a minute. For you created my, everybody say my. Say me. All right, there we go. For you created my innermost being. You knit me, everybody say me. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am, everybody say I am. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know. Everybody say, I know. I know that full well, he says. Verse 15, he says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made. I say, I was made. I was made in the secret place when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me all your thoughts. Man, you know how much God thinks about you? A lot. In fact, so much, he says, God, how vast is the sum of your thoughts for me? He says, were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand on a beach. When I awake, I'm still with you. He says, God, you think so highly of me. You, you crafted me so perfectly and wonderfully. You are not a mistake. You are not an accident. You are not someone who fills in space or just fills in a chair. You are valuable. You are important. Stop trying to be somebody else. Be you. Do you. But improve you. So I got a bad attitude, and that's just who I am. So I'm going to be, well, you know. No, that's not what I'm saying. Be you, do you, and improve you. Work on you. But be you. Quit living a lie and trying to be somebody else. Here's the fourth lie that we believe, and this is the last one. And this is basically the entire book. It's a whole lot. Is that I have to pretend that everything's fine. Some of you, you've got so many things inside of you that are struggles, that are dark, that are issues that you are just completely afraid. You have locked up those thoughts. You've locked up those memories. You've locked up those struggles. You've locked up those secrets. You've locked up those fears. Some of you are living them right now and they're locked tight and you're like, oh, I can't let anybody know because they won't like me anymore. They won't, if someone knew me, they wouldn't like me. If they knew what I struggled with, they would think I'm dirty. If they knew what I had issues with, they would not want to be my friend. If I was honest with my wife, what would she think? If I was honest with my husband, what would he say? If I told my friends, would they want me to go out with them anymore? Would they want me to hang out? If I told my kids, would they respect me anymore? Some of you, you've got so much inside and you're pretending to be somebody that you're not. You're pretending that everything is fine. We ask each other, how you doing? I'm fine. How you doing? Oh, awesome. We live in a society that puts on a good front, a good mask. We pretend we're okay even when we're not. We fake it 
till we make it. How are you good? No, you're not. You're sick. You're unhealthy, man. You've got issues and struggles at home. You just got back from the doctor yesterday. Things are not fine. Don't pretend you're fine. Give God an opportunity to show up. Well, how are you doing, man? I, I'm, I'm great. How's your marriage? It's awesome. No, it's not. It's in trouble. It's in shambles. It's broken. And it's going down. You're not even sleeping in the same bedroom anymore. Well, how are your kids? Oh, they're great. No, they're not. They hate you. They don't even know who you are. They haven't talked to you. And in, in, yeah, it's kind of funny because there are kids that actually hate their parents. They don't want to hang out with them anymore. They, they, run a one, they run a one away. They can't get out of high school fast enough to get far enough away. Well, how, how are you? I'm awesome. No, you're not. You're doped out all the time. You're addicted. You, you barely make it to church without being drunk or stoned or strung out. You're always tired. You're always stressed out. How are you? Well, I'm fine. I'm blessed. No, you're, you're not. You battle depression. Some of us, we live a lie. We lock up our secrets in the journals of our mind, and we pretend that we are fine, but we are not fine, people. And it's a lie we believe that causes us to never truly be free. Let me tell you, life is not perfect. We're not always okay. Things don't always turn out okay. Stop pretending. Proverbs 28, 13, this is a verse that will change your life. He says, he who conceals his sins or keeps his struggles a secret, rationalizes them away, ignores them or who won't acknowledge them. He who conceals his struggles does not prosper. That means will be ruined and will be made undone. That's what it means. He says, but whoever confesses and renounces finds mercy. That means grace, forgiveness, help, and freedom. When we learn to stop hiding behind our lies and challenge each other to confess and renounce our struggles, our secrets, and our sin, in Christ, we find a new life. So I want to give you two quick answers to how to break free from these lies. Two very simple, simple things. The first one is something we're going to do today, right now. And the first one is this. Confess them to God. Confess them to God. You know, we, we keep these lies and we lie to ourselves, and we think that we're lying to God too about this. Oh, God doesn't know about that. He doesn't know about that. He doesn't know about that. He doesn't know about that. Oh, I'm glad nobody knows about that. This is what I'm thinking, but God doesn't know. This is what I'm doing. My friends don't know. And we think nobody knows. Well, God knows. You can't hide from him. Confess to God. He cares. He loves you. He wants to forgive you. He is, look at 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Everybody say all. All unrighteousness. Man, there is nothing too dark, too dirty. There's nothing too secretive, too shameful. There's nothing that you have ever done that you could imagine that God cannot forgive you of. If we will confess our sins, he will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Today, will you confess to God what is going on in your life, the secrets, the lies? If we confess to God, God will do what? Forgive us and purify us. If we confess it to God today, you are forgiven, you are clean, you are brand new, and a beautiful day begins. There's freedom and relief from sin today. But then oftentimes, here's what happens. We confess our sin, but still we struggle with the sin. We confess that sin and we still battle that sin. We still 
struggle with the guilt or the shame of that sin. And we're like, but I thought I just, if I told it to God, everything would be fine. Here's the second thing we need to do. The second thing is to confess it to the right people. Not only do we need to confess to God, but we need to confess our struggles and our lies that we believe with other people. Because we still want to sin, we still feel guilty, we still fall back, we still believe the lie. James 5.13 says this, If anyone among you is in trouble, let him pray. That means take it to God. If anyone is happy, man, let him sing songs of praise. That means, man, thank God. He says, if anyone among you is sick, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick people well, the sick person well, and the Lord will raise them up. Man, that means have faith in God. By the way, that word sick there doesn't mean if you have... (laughs) a little cough. It means if you are in the verge of death, you need to get some leadership involved in prayer and in faith and take it to God. He says, if you've sinned, they will be forgiven. He says, therefore, confess your sins to each each other. This time it doesn't say confess your sins to God. It says confess them to each other and pray for each other. That means confess it to each other, then talk to God together so that you may be healed. That word is whole or set free. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. See, a lot of Catholic churches, they'll often use that verse as a proof text for confessionals. They'll often use that verse as, well, that's why we do confession. You come in, you confess your sin to a priest, and then he tells you to, you know, do 20 Hail Marys and go do some penance work, do volunteer, sweep the floor of the church because I've got to go someplace on Saturday. You know, we, they, they give them penance and a prayer. That's not what that verse means. Here's what that verse means. Think about it like this. If we, for example, if you cheat on a test and you ask God to forgive you, will God forgive you of that? Yes. If you cheat on a test, God will forgive you, but in two weeks, you'll probably cheat again. Am I right? Unless you deal with the issue. But if you cheat on a test... And ask God to forgive you, he will forgive you. But if you cheat on a test and tell your teacher that you cheated on the test, man, you'll never cheat again, will you? Because you have that teacher as accountability or that friend or that person that's watching you making sure that you don't repeat the habit. You see, sin confessed only to God we tend to repeat, but sin confessed to others and struggles confessed to others tend to bring great change. The word there to each other raises the question, who are the right people? Who should I confess it to? Should I tell my wife? Should I tell my husband? Should I tell my friend? Should I tell my co-worker? Well, the answer is in the verse. James 5 to uh, 16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person, that's a person walking with Jesus, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Write this down. We confess to God for forgiveness. We confess to God's people for healing and change. So the answer is this. Who should we be talking to when it comes to confessing our struggles? First of all, that person should be a person who is living a life devoted, deeply devoted to following Jesus Christ. That's why whenever somebody tells me they're going to counseling, I'll say, is it a, are they Christian counselors? Because all the, all the best humanistic tips and, you know, four tips to, you know, communication and all this sort of, doesn't matter if the counsel isn't from God's word. It won't bring true life change. Honesty means that everything that you say is true, but everything that is true doesn't need to be said to everybody. 
only confess to those that are filled with the Spirit of God who can give you the guidance that only God can bring. Will the confession, here's a question you need to ask yourself. Will the confession lead to a more intimate relationship? Will the confession lead to deeper intimacy in that relationship? Some of you right now are thinking, should I tell my wife what I'm going through? Should I tell my husband what I'm going through? Should I tell my friends what I'm going through? Will that confession lead to a greater intimacy in that relationship? If the answer is yes, then yes, you should. If all it does is bring up strife and and discord and division, then maybe you need to rethink who you're going to confess that to. You need to confess it to somebody. And, And I want you to know this, a secret with your wife is a wall that separates. So when we tell our spouses or the people that are closest to us something, it will hurt, but confession will ultimately lead to deeper intimacy. This is something that will change your life. Listen to this. Confession does not hurt people. Sin hurts people. So I want to ask yourself, when it comes to the secrets that we keep in the journal, when it keeps, when it comes to the secrets and the lies that we tell ourselves. It's time to fess up. It's time to bring your pain, to bring your hurt, to bring your secrets, to bring the things that nobody knows to light and talk to the appropriate people. Confess to God. Confess to the right people. Stop living the lie. Quit living the lie. Some of you, you've been praying that God would break free uh, in your life, that you would be set free from that struggle, that addiction, that, that obsession, that, that struggle, and God says, well, you know, I will forgive you every time if you're humble and broken, but if you want true life change, you need to talk to somebody. You need to unlock and lay open and lay bare your life before those that live and love Jesus. So, Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen. let's end with this. He who conceals his sins does not prosper. But whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Some of you, it's time to write on the board. It's time to lay out what's going on in your life. Your marriage won't prosper as long as you're keeping that struggle a secret. Your kids won't prosper as long as you're keeping that struggle a secret. Your relationships will not prosper with your parents or with your friends until that struggle comes to light. Satan is a lie. He's a father of all lies, and these lies will destroy our life. So stop believing. Quit believing the lies you tell yourself. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that you, God, have hopefully brought to light some things in our life, some areas of our life, some issues of our life. And uh, God, I pray that that as we open up the journal of our heart, as uh, we lay bare the issues that we struggle with, that Lord, we will be honest with ourselves and honest with those around us. God, that first of all, today, right now, we will confess our struggles and our sins to you. That we will confess that we have believed these lies. 
That God, uh, I don't have to help everybody. I'm not the savior of the world. God, only you are. God, I don't have to be liked by everybody. All I need to know is that, God, you love me and like me. God, I don't have to try to be like somebody else because, God, you made me special and unique and valuable just the way I am. God, help us to quit believing the lies and believe the truth of who you say we are. And God, help us to break free from that lie that brings us down, that we are fine when we are not. God, help us to be transparent so that we can find the beautiful person that you've created us to be and how you take from the dust and make something beautiful, Lord. You take something broken and you make it something wonderful. God, thank you, Lord, for your grace and forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.